So uh, you're all very welcome. Uh, thanks a million for joining us. My name is Gavin Casey. This is the 42.e Rugby Show Live. Um, we might as well get our guests out. Uh, the first one, I mean, God bless him, he was locked there in the basement of Eden Park in Auckland for the last six months, but they finally let him out of captivity, and we're delighted to have him back. It is the 42.e's very own Murray Kinsler. <laughs> on Moza. How are you, Moza? I'm good, thank you very much. Lovely introduction again. <laughs> Slag me off this week. No, uh, yeah, last week I was saying he's a digital influencer. I don't think it went down very well. Also may have accused him of being a blogger, but uh, what can you do? Uh, our main guest this evening, I'm, I'm always saying the main guest after yeah, you. And, in all again, yeah, and, I'm sorry, again. and I'm sorry, you're on an equal footing apart from the fact that this man, of course, had a stellar rugby career and is now the head coach of the Dragons. Uh, he's the father of Dragons. Uh, please welcome. <laughs> Oh, I can't believe it. Ber Bernard Cal Carlo Bourne of the House Jackman. Bernard Jackman, everybody. <laughs> How are you, Bernard? Good, thank you. I don't know if you're watching against the head there uh, during the week, lads, but um, apparently nobody gives a fiddlers about GAA or soccer anymore. Uh, <laughs> Rugby is now the people's game, Bernard. That's, uh, that's wasn't uh, wasn't my comment. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> get on to RT player and uh, and check now. Uh, yeah, I think this causes obviously a little bit of um, controversy. Certainly, um, I think it's great that rugby's grown and growing. Um, but um, to say we're the people's game is, is uh, yeah, it's pushing a little bit. But um, I think I think the the, the idea was how exciting it's going to be if we can win this week and going going to Twickenham searching for a grand slam and how the international game were able to compete at provincial level were able to compete and um but there's obviously some fabulous sports in this country that are more popular than we are and and um i love those sports as well so um yeah i don't think we should get ahead of ourselves yeah it's a nice diplomatic yeah. answer there <laughs> yeah oh, well, listen rugby's far from being people's game I, I think i agree with you there but it definitely has grown in uh areas in the country that probably wasn't as popular before like even take the under 20s team on friday there's a guy from donegal guy from Letterkenny kenny uh, on the team so things like that have developed a bit more you're seeing more of those kind of youth guys coming through into the squad and like it probably is still a bit of an elitist sport but i think there are a few who have worked quite hard to to get as you mentioned yeah. rt to get those kind of coaches into schools that never really played before. So I think they're making progress there. There's a long way to go, certainly. But it does definitely capture the imagination. You look at the TV viewing figures, and some of the top 10 in the last couple of years have been rugby matches. So, yeah, we're making good progress, but definitely a long way to go. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's obviously been decentralized in recent years. You were proof, uh, really, coming from Carlo to become a, a successful rugby player. But, like, your point, at the t I think, in fairness, your own point at the time was just that the youth development officers and things like that in the country had done a stellar job in bring it around to all of the counties in Ireland now. You mentioned a, a young fellow from Donegal. The lads maybe got a little bit excited, but you're, you're fairly, you're okay with it not being necessarily the people's game, but just a, a sport that continues to grow yeah, and, and blossom. Uh, in yeah, the I think we, we want participation, people to, to support, people to be knowledge about it. You know, it is a great game. I, 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 I've been lucky enough to make a career out of it for 20 years, and if I wasn't doing it professionally, I'd be doing it for free. You know, I'd be coaching in a club in Tolo on a Tuesday night or, or you know, fundraising or whatever. So it's a great game. It's great that it's not better than any other game. It's just a game that I'd be lucky enough to... Um, to play more of um, and I think it's great that everybody's getting I think it, with kids you want them to have access to as many different games as yeah. as they can and let them choose whereas probably before you know kids from from rural areas didn't have 
an access point, whether that was a school or whether that was a club, to actually try it. Um, and that's what's been a, a big um, a big improvement. And if they like it, great, they can play it. And I, I would certainly never try and separate kids from and stop kids from playing another sport. Um, you know, I think it's up to them to make a choice. And if they become, you know, Irish fans or Leinster fans or Connacht fans, and, and, and you know, in years to come, well, then great. But uh, it's it's about love of sport rather than actual a particular sport mm. for yeah. me. And there is a, there is a crossover as well. Like so many guys speak to Luke Fitzgerald, he talks about the benefit of his GA background, yeah. high ball skills, Rob Carney. And that works the other way as well. Like, you know, guys going into GA who maybe have a bit of contact skills from rugby, obviously you can't tackle the same way, but but that crossover definitely works. There's definitely the kind of spatial awareness, hand-eye coordination, that kind of stuff. It's yeah, and there's also a lot of crossover in terms of coaching. So a lot of the of the GA coach, Damien Duff, spent a, a couple of days yeah. in Leinster. So everyone's looking to try and gain ideas from other sports and then incorporate that into how they coach um, and how they how they manage players and how they set up their, their week. Yeah, I can sense a new controversy brewing after Murray describing it as ga there, but we'll... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you mentioned that you'd be still involved down in Tullow. You were, of course, involved there at, at a certain point in mm. your coaching career. You were in uh, Cool Mine as yeah. well, Newbridge. And then, you know, within a few years, you were, <laughs> you were coaching at the very top level of the game. And, I, I, you know, we could spend all night going through uh, France and things like that. But I think it's maybe time to rip the plaster off. It was a difficult weekend for you down in South yeah. Africa. Yeah, there was a lot said by both yourself in terms of your players' performance mm. and also... And our friends at Wales Online had a pop at Bernard. Uh, some, um, I think it was Andy Howell compared you to what uh, Steve Hansen had said of the Welsh players back in 2002, something like yeah. that, where he was, I suppose, suggesting that they weren't up to scratch and then all of a sudden they started playing as though they weren't up to scratch. Is, is that a fear that you no. might have when you criti criticise no, your players? Um, yeah, you don't want to be criticising your players, but you also <laughs> got to be realistic of of where we need to get to. Uh, I think if you look at the Dragons over the last five or six years, um, there's been we've accepted probably underperformance too much, um, and that was certainly the the mantra and the, and the mandate I was given going in there. Not just from the board, or, um, it was very much from the core playing group, who effectively so the Dragons have struggled to keep their best players because it wasn't seen as being an ambitious place. Um, and if we want to change that, if we want to become successful, we got to start demanding more of of ourselves and not tolerating consistent underperformance if everybody has a blip you know uh, and I think we as coaches you, d you don't want that to happen but um, you'd be more tolerant of a, of a blip if you can see really good practice every day and consistent performances but when you don't have those and when you see you see a team not playing um, to the level they're capable of you know I'm not saying we should have beaten the Kings but we're certainly better than we we looked so you got to confront that and, and, and say listen that's not good enough because it's not just we have a lot of youngsters playing at the moment and it's important for them not to be happy to be playing regional rugby or playing pro rugby that's um that's only a starting point and um and unfortunately sometimes that happens that you get caught in a bubble of you know i'm, I'm in south africa or i'm you know i'm in the rds and i'm playing professional rugby that's that's a given you know, you got to be competing. You got to be competitive. You got to be getting better. You got to be winning. So um, probably there's been a, it's probably a big culture shock for for the group. But the key thing is that there's, you know, we re-signed um, twelve of our, we call our our core DNA group. So guys who come from Gwent who are came through the Dragons Academy, they've all re-signed for three years because they want that type of leadership and, 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 and direction and demand for success. The people we've recruited like Roger Williams, uh, Ryan Bevington, um, Ross Moriarty, Richard Hibbard, 
they want that too you know so it's not like oh one week i'm saying oh no it's gonna be nice and soft and uh, everything is is great you know everything will be great once we get the performance is right and the consistency right so the people that are we want to build a team around are, are are very much signed up for that the people that are coming in understand that that it's a it's a project where you got to come in roll up your sleeve um it's going to be really hard because we don't have a um a monopoly on talent you know we've no, we're no more talent than everyone else we have a small budget so we really need to drive standards internally um and also we got, we got to show those youngsters that you know the level is is there and that's what we're going to demand because i believe you get what you accept so if you accept sloppiness and underperformance um more than likely you're going to get that unless you've got a really strong leadership group who are able to switch it on on a on a saturday uh, or you know really talented group so it's it's difficult you know Wales and Lyon are free to have a pop you know when you when you get hammered by the kings away from home you deserve criticism you know and uh it was interesting i was reading an article about eddie jones yesterday and he said you know everyone wants to talk to him you know but generally there's three types of messages he's been told you know you're doing a hell of a job you're doing a shit job or if you do this you'll be doing a good job. Mm. You know what I mean? So people are, have got loads of opinions, loads of advice, which is great. Um, our job is to try and, you know, follow a plan, um, try and problem solve as you, as you go. So I think I think the Kings will be a good... In, in the future, we look back on the Kings as a, as a, as a day that we probably learned a lesson and, and hopefully um, was a turning point for us, you know? You, you mentioned some of the new recruits, and I know you said after the defeat of the Kings that speaking to some of them like you have to really convince them yeah. to come over to we, we had a very bad reputation you know um so when you get ross moriarty who's 23 years of age british and irish line um at the peak of his powers it's a massive gamble for him to come to the dragons but so and i, and I promised them i change it so i gotta stick to you promised the new recruits or the club everybody or i promised particularly yeah well i'm talking about say the recruits you know, I had to convince them that this was going to be different, that the Dragons that they're going to come into in June is going to be a different organisation. Part of that is, I suppose, rebuilding the squad a little bit. Part of that is um, bringing through some youngsters and giving them game time so that next year they're not learning on the job, they've experienced it. So, you know, we played against Ulster. We, we set, we traditionally this season we've sent a lot of youngsters away from home mm. to try and get them experience game time you know we've a we've a young winger who's very talented george gaston his first ever pro 14 game was against he's mark and charles Piatel, the most expensive player in the world so he f he sees and feels what he's going to be facing if he's going to be a, a pro rugby player you know um dan babos um is a young is a young nine um you know we had to get a letter from his mum to get on the flight um to go to south africa he's only 17 you know but he's a hell of a player but ideally, in an ideal scenario, he doesn't play till he's 21, 22. Mm -hmm. But the group we have, that's what we have. And let's, let's manage them. Let's bring them on. Let's develop them as quick as we can. Um, and let's, in June, have a group who understand that sloppy standards won't be accepted. Bring in people who know what it's like, what, what it takes to win. And suddenly then you start to change a, a group and, a, and you start to change your reputation. Yeah, you married the two, I guess. Exactly. Uh, like. like I'm wondering because obviously when you're looking at now I, I don't read Welsh news often uh, and I very rarely read Wales online but when you're in the news because you're supposedly under pressure like presumably for you you've come into a club that finished 11th out of 12 teams mm. last year and you're already have you already clearly have an eye on next year yeah. this is a, a well at least a medium term if not a long term project and is it too much to expect to have turned their fortunes completely in the first uh, six, eight uh, months? No, I think we would have obviously... You always hoped that 
you can turn it around, you know, just by clicking your fingers or whatever. But very rarely in sport that happens. Um, so we we you know we had a look at the group early doors. We could see it needed reinforcement, and then we made the decision. Well, then we obviously had to go and get the people on board. So we've we've announced ten already. There's a couple more to. Um, to be announced over the next three or four weeks, um, which will give us a, a nice, a nice um, injection of talent experience. Um, and then we said, well, listen, if there's no relegation in the Pro 14, okay, it's not that we've, we're throwing gimmies. We want to be competitive every game. But if there's ever a year to actually blood youngsters, it's this year. Mm. Because with our budget next year, um, we probably don't, we can't afford to have the same depth of experience. You know, we can get our first choice, second choice, probably guys who who've been there, done that. But then our, our you know, our third and fourth choice are probably going to have to come from our academy, which is great because you want that, you want that local talent coming through. Um, so we've given a lot of those. So we've given ten teenagers debut in the Pro 14. You know, only one other team has given. Um, I think three is the max anyone else has given. So, you know, if you're given. 300% the amount of debuts to teenagers um, there is going to be a little bit of learning for them but that will that will come back to us you know if those kids weren't if those kids were danger were risks of leaving in June it'd be different they've all signed for two three years so we'll benefit from that so you need to be patient and every coach is looking for patience and, and uh, two or three year plans and, and uh, etc but I think if you look at how we're going about it um, there's an obvious reason why there's little bits of, of, of blips and not closing out games, but there's there's a plan behind it and we just got to follow the plan. There you go, Andy Howell. Leave the man alone, will you, for God's sake. <laughs> Andy's Bit a good bloke. Patience, Andy. He's a good bloke. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, to move on to, obviously, Ireland, Scotland, like, it was Warren Gatland who gave you a glowing recommendation for the job you're in yeah. now and, of course, it was an Ireland-Scotland game which really spelled the end for... Gatlin in uh, Gatlin as Ireland's head coach uh, in 2001 but it like looking at Ireland and Scotland's it's not even a rivalry really or at least there hasn't been the kind of boil that we might associate with the Ireland Wales games in recent years but like I don't know some of you in the audience might be too young to remember no I actually think we should be fine but in the 90s <laughs> we we like we didn't beat our, uh, Scotland in the six in the yeah. six nations or five nations in the 90s uh, and then in the following decade, it's a complete turnaround of fortune. The only thing is, they've scuppered our attempts to win a Grand Slam or a championship, I think, twice in the last, say, 20 years. And maybe the reverse isn't quite true. But in recent years, Murray, like, I suppose we've always expected in recent years we're going to turn them over. We have to because we've been yeah. a better team. And there's a little yeah. bit of trepidation about this one. I yeah, guess. you say there's no, like, there's no venom there. But I think there is definitely resentment on the Scottish side. Yeah. Um, I think you probably saw that in Murrayfield last year. They probably feel that their group of players is as talented as Ireland's, that they possibly should have been in contention for those championships that Ireland won, and that they've underperformed. So they probably look, I think you've seen in the Glasgow Munster rivalry that's really developed there, they probably look at Munster and go, you know, we're, we're a better club than these guys. Um, I think that's come into international level. Um, and yeah, it, at the start of the championship, you probably look at that fixture and go, Scotland at home, there's definitely four points, possibly even five if you get a good performance. But certainly coming into this fixture now, I think that's been flipped on its head a little bit. I think there is trepidation there. I think Ireland are justifiably still the favourites. But, but we've seen from Scotland that they're so lethal, so dangerous. We're going to go through some of their attack in a while. But um, they're definitely coming with, with threats that marry up well to where Ireland have shown vulnerabilities as well. Um, and I think it's a really interesting coaching battle as well. Two really smart co rugby coaches who 
have an ability to kind of tailor the game plan to what the opposition is doing. You saw with Scotland against the English, attack that breakdown, those kind of two-man pods mm -hmm. in midfield and, and get those massive turnovers. Um, Joe Schmidt, he's famous for picking out the opposition flaw. So really interesting to see how they approach this game, especially considering uh, that Gregor Townsend has actually kind of learned a, a bit from Joe over the years. When he started in Glasgow in 2012, he, he had a long conversation with him, I think, about his coaching style, about what he could learn from Leinster at that time. So I think Joe might regret that phone call a little bit now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a fascinating battle. I, I think there is definitely a, a nice edge to it. But the big challenge for Scotland is whether they can hit that emotional peak mm. that they hit against England again this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's, all, it's so often a problem not only in rugby, but in elite-level sport if you... Uh, I suppose, d dip into the well, so to speak. It's difficult to do it kind of week on week, and yet with the break, you might think that they might be sufficiently recuperated to produce that sort of a kind of a maniacal aggression again. Like, say, for example, Ireland in the World Cup, you have this emotional game against France, and the Argentina game almost came too soon afterwards to really reproduce that, albeit you're missing five key players as well. Another thing that I find it interesting about it is that, like, whatever about uh, rugby and, and being the people sports or whatever, it's still one, it's one of the few sports remaining, I think, where the top class participants still kind of talk a little bit about revenge, you know, and we're going back to last year and how Scotland completely, you know, pulled the carpet from under Ireland in a way. And I think it was Jack McGrath was saying over in Carton House, like, yeah, we've got an eye on this, not only because of this year's championship, but because we kind of owe them one for last year. Like, is, is that part of the conversation, Bernard, in behind the scenes? Yeah, I think every week you're looking to try and try and make sure that the mindset is, is right so you know if it's if it's a poor performance I, I know you know Joe came out and spoke publicly about our defence that's yeah. not for the media or the public that's actually to send a message to his players don't get carried away there's a lot of good elements to our win against Wales but if we defend like that we're going to get ripped apart you know if, if, you've, if, you had, if you've had a near perfect game you'll talk about something that happened a year ago you know what I mean and that's why the Munster Glasgow games have become quite tetchy because there's baggage carried into them from from previous encounters so um but i think the difference with scotland now and the, the challenge we have is that i think they've shown quite good mental resilience so they, they obviously their waveform has been really poor bar you know i think gregor's first tour they went they went to australia and, and got mm. a win down there but um they flopped in wales okay with massive expectation massive confidence because they had a really good november and then they got into a real battle against france conceded some really soft tries particularly from teddy Thomas. it was a game that could have got away from them but they just ground their way back into the game and probably went away from a Gregor type game because you know they, they kicked penalties and um, started the build phase and take less risk, but got the win. And then against England, um, they were able to merge not just that manic aggression because you're playing against England, but they actually you know they they played the core um, Gregor Townsend game plan. Um, and now they're going to come to Dublin and they'll see this as a as a way of. Of replicating now because they beat England as well, they got the reward. Mm. You know, sometimes if you put in a heroic performance and you lose, there's a chance then that that you won't be able to repeat that. But when you put in a big performance, lots of physicality, um, lots of accuracy, lots of energy, and you get a win, it just gives you massive momentum now. So they'll just see this Ireland game as the as the next step for them to show that they're resilient enough to go away from home and and play their game. So I, I think they'll definitely come here. In a, I think they looked at. I think Gregor took a lot of. of um, self-analysis in terms of his prep for Wales and I think they, they learned from that and now this is the first chance they've had since then to get into an away game mode and see you know if the change he's obviously going to make to his prep can actually get a better performance all right yeah I think uh, Bernard you're going to kick us off in terms of analysis looking at um, some of those tries that they scored against England yeah just this came from um, so 
they obviously want to take so you got to, if you're going to kick the game ball off you got to get in the cheap seats because um, they'll just go quick and, and the big thing for Gregor Townsend is is a high ball and ball and play time so I don't know if you noticed but after the Wales game Warren's, Warren Gatlin spoke about how the fact I think the ball was only played for something like 37 yeah. minutes yeah. but yet the previous five games against Ireland it was 42 minutes but if you were at the game it felt like a game with really high ball and play time but it, w- it yeah. wasn't Ireland it were just contr- me the number, yeah think. Ireland were just controlling it yeah. controlling it way better um, and making sure th- that the game was very rarely got away from that structure type of game when it, when it did get away from that we can see the tries yeah. Yeah. so in this this line out England uh, they actually had, they, it wasn't a quick throw they actually formed the line out but the ball went out and back into play within six seconds. So like that's that's very rare. What if you, usually when they go quick, they go quick. But then if they can't go quick, it's actually probably twenty seconds. Mm. But they got this set up and they got them all going incredibly quickly. And then they just play off it and you know, it goes a little bit pear shaped, referee gets in the way. But it's just this willingness. Like there's not really space in the backfield here. You know, that's covered, but their willingness to actually put the ball on the on the toe. They get lucky. Obviously, Hugh Jones gets it. But that kind of unorthodox type of mindset is actually a nightmare for, for defence coaches. And um, it means that you, you've got to be extra aware. And, and they just need a little bit of a fumble or a little bit of a break to exploit mm. that. That tempo you mentioned, though, it's, you, you can hear them on the ref. Yeah. Like, tempo, tempo, tempo. Yeah, like every line it takes 20, 25 seconds. The quick taps. Always get ball back and play. Uh, and as you say, that is a weakness for Ireland. Like that try, we're going to look at it later on, yeah. the Aaron Shingler try. Ball's in play for three minutes, yeah. and that's when you get those poor decisions on the outside edge. So Scotland will look to build those long passes, sure. kick in field, kick in yeah. field, and keep Ireland on their feet for long passages. Yeah, and that's what we got to... So I think you're going to talk about our defence, but our defence from, from static situations is actually quite comfortable. You know, from, mm-hmm. from scrum line out, we haven't looked under any danger. It's when it becomes a little bit turnovers, loose play, we do get caught a little bit narrow. Here, look, look at the score here. This is, you know, it's 10, 6, 30 minutes. They get a brilliant turnover from a penalty in their own 22. You know, most teams are there. England have had a little bit of pressure. The mindset is, let's get the ball, you know, at the halfway line. Let's start with a line out. They're gone. And it's just that, like, even the pack aren't ready. They go, England regain initiative a little bit here. The ball is sloppy. Maitland's going backwards. He throws a loose offload. doesn't matter. They try and get away from the touchline. England flood the rook because Scotland looked disorganised. And because they flood the rook and get a little bit narrow, okay, so if you look at Ireland, you know, that's that's a picture we've seen a little bit with Ireland where yeah. the second last defender is is there and he's leaving this guy out to dry a little bit. Sorry for my graphics. Um <laughs> Use a different system in the Dragons. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, bro. Pen and paper, pen and paper. Uh, <laughs> um, but what, what Scotland have is really good wit, okay? So they've got bodies, bodies wide, and then it's just a brilliant pass from, from Finn Russell, you know. It's an outrageous pass. Yeah. So most, most teams and most tens, if they see that threat there, okay? Yeah, if they see that threat there. Oh, okay. <laughs> you just drag, yeah. Drag. They don't, they don't throw that pass. You know, they, they took yeah. it. And that's why Eddie Jones um, has given his players a license to come up and shut down the danger. But Finn Russell, and he's, he's error-prone, but in fairness to him, he had a poor game against, um, against Wales. He had a poor game against France. And I actually really admire the fact that, you know, in a crucial test match, Kakuta Cup, you know, they're under pressure. They're leading the scoreboard. He has the Lee to throw that, okay, to throw that pass. And then after that, it's just a brilliant try. So you see Hugh Jones, great pace. They get into the opposition 22, quick ball, 
Ryan Wilson plays nine. You know, and this is brilliant by John Bartley. I mean, so many forwards will just crash that up, try and be a hero. Look at his, he changes his angle. He goes back out again, gets a soft shoulder, offloads to uh, Laidlaw. McAnally, who's a, is a decent player, gets a great carry. And again, just having wit, both sides of the field. You know, it's a brilliant try. England defence, England's defence you know, over the last two or three years has been incredibly solid. And they may, they're made look like schoolboys. And then last one is just a line-out strike. But again, they've gone quickly. And it's just that blind pass from, from, uh, from Laidlaw to Hugh Jones. And what a finish. Mm. You know, he's been exceptional. He scored 10 tries in 14 tests. Um, and this is just going back to their mindset again. It's the last clip I'm going to show. So they're beating Australia 29-17. You know, most teams will be happy to take three points here, kick to the corner, they get a penalty, and they're just ruthless. And just their mindset is, you know, is it on to go and play? And then they do. And it's just the ability for Hugh Jones to actually beat people when the, when the defence isn't set properly. So they look to go to the corner. They obviously get a call in that the Australians are narrow, and they're gone, you know. And even international level, you say to your, your under-10s, don't turn your back, <laughs> you know. But... Uh, a lot of teams don't exploit those opportunities, and that's all they're looking for. Yeah. Is there an opportunity? And let's trust yourself. And Gregor has—he started with Glasgow, and we saw it leading to a, you know, a pro, a pro 12 title. Um, they run a massive amount of meters every week of training. They're they're fit. They're used to playing in what you call the red zone. They're used to executing their skill set with fatigue, and we probably don't want them to get that frantic. Yeah, you know? and like that pass of Russell Trows, you know, the week before. Uh, Eddie Jones kind of gets in Patchell's head yeah. and says Joseph is going to be in your eye line every yeah. time and he basically didn't try and throw that pass yeah. but Russell will always take that extra bit of risk um, and like there, there probably is chances there for Ireland in terms of picking off the pass yeah. um, like in terms of Eddie Jones do you think that actually did that actually work do you think that was part of his game plan to 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 put it in his mind with yeah I think Patchell? it was oh, for sure it was he yeah. seemed almost sarcastic when it came to Russell where he was after what he had said about Patchell where he was clearly trying to put pressure on him he then sort of shirked those similar types of questions about Russell and was saying ah oh, no he's a, he's a good player he's a good player but it yeah. seemed it still seemed barbed I don't know whether that was just because it's Eddie Jones and he's a bit of a burk <laughs> or because he was well, actually I, trying I to I think Russell has got more international experience than Patchell has I, I felt it was it was harsh on Patchell because Patchell has actually played quite a bit of high level rugby um, and I don't think you can. I think as well you can't go to the well every week with that kind of stuff, picking a player and, and nominate him. So I think you obviously felt you know it worked against Wales. Let's just put it put it in the pocket for a while. And um, I don't think he's he, he obviously maybe got a little bit of a media backlash about it. And yeah, I don't think he's going to go every week and pick a player and say oh he's he's inexperienced. I think Finn Russell has uh, has more experience. And maybe he felt that he could get to him without without um, speaking about him in the media. Yeah, like Finn Russell, he, Finn Russell is, he's going to throw those passes every single yeah. week. Like, we'll look at a couple of examples here. Um, like, even in your examples, we see uh, Scotland getting those big gains in the 15-metre challenge, and that's so big for them. Like, their ball-carrying forwards aren't particularly explosive. No. They don't tend to make, make a lot of metres per carry. Um, and actually, I think between the two 15-metre channels, they're more focused on that tempo. Yes. So get through the rocks, get a quick recycle. Even if you're not making progress, you're kind of narrowing up that defence. And then... They save their creative play for the 15-meter yeah. challenge so often. We're going to see a couple of examples here. Um, Finn Russell there in first receiver, he's going to get on the ball. This is in you know, 45 seconds in, 40 seconds in. Um, and already he's going to throw that big, long pass out in front, uh, beating Nathan Hughes there on the edge um, and going to that width with a risky pass that a lot of outhouse wouldn't like to no. throw early in a game. We see it here again. You know, they've narrowed up England w with some of those carries. They haven't made particularly 
big uh, gain line advances, but they've managed to get them tied around that ruck. Finn Russell's going to come around the, uh, around the corner, and again, he's going to throw that pass across the face of a defender. You know, Ireland might see opportunities there. I'm going to go and try and pick off that pass. But if he beats you, you know, you're in big trouble. This time, they don't convert into a, a, a really clean line break, but again, massive gains down the left. This is against the All Blacks, um, and you picked out Ryan Wilson uh, playing playing nine the last time. Again, they got a forward in there, playing nine, scrum half off the base of the ruck. Um, and then, you know, Henry Pergos can hit a little bit wider, hit Russell, and allows them just to get into that 15 meter channel where they're so creative, forward linking pass. And here's Hugh Jones, who also can distribute in yeah. fairness. He's, he's a lethal line runner. We'll take a look at a couple of examples later on. But now they're into this 15 meter channel. Now it's so difficult for the defenders. You know, every mistake is magnified out here. And one of the things they're really good at, you know, you can see all that space there. Um, but it's hard even at, with that drift defence for Hogg with all his pace to beat them. So he sticks that little grubber and so late, you know, he's, he's getting tackled just as he kicks. But this is a repeated trend in their play. Uh, work hard, get the tempo up in, the 50, in, in between the two 15 metre channels and then go to Hogg, Russell and Hugh Jones to create. Uh, you see Tommy Seymour get back on the ball, pass inside. And you've had this brilliant support play from the scrum half getting all the way there and Jones as well. That's another element of it. So everyone on the inside is going to work really hard to get across into that 15 meter channel um, and give them a chance to finish off. You know, that's against the All Blacks, one, one of the best defences around. Another chance here in the last minute against the All Blacks where they almost uh, uh, stole a famous victory. Again, a, a linking pass from forward to Russell just to give him that chance, because you're quite close to the touch on the initial ruck there. So generally, it's hard to get over to the other 15 metre, but that little bit of extra depth uh, gives him a chance to make the pass. And probably these guys here are actually a, too, a little bit too deep this time, because you can see here on the outside edge, that the all-backs are in trouble. If they're up a little bit flatter, I think they actually possibly could convert that into a try. But again, it's uh, Jones on the ball, inside pass to, to Stuart Hogg, and his pace is unbelievable. You're seeing that support again. Guys working really hard in that zone of the pitch because that's a massive focus for them. Uh, unfortunately for them this time, uh, well, it was a brilliant tackle from Bowden Barrett, but the, the, the offload goes forward. So I think you're going to see that formula again. It, it, every single game they've played under Townsend, work hard, work with tempo in between the 15s. Your forwards might not win the game line every time, but you're always going to try and get those two-on-twos, three-on-threes in the outside channel. It's, it's not even about creating a two-on-one anymore. It's about giving Hogg a chance to use his footwork, Jones with his pace, and those little grubber kicks as well. So I think it's a, a real threat for for. Yeah, our I think it's, it's less organised than probably some of the other teams in the Six Nations. But what they have is co you know, core philosophies that get the ball to the they're talented X-Factor players in areas of the field where there's potential mismatches. So you spoke there about, about maybe they're a little bit too deep, but that depth could challenge us because they, they have width both sides of the field, so they stretch your defence, or if your defence is narrow, they have opportunities to go there. But also because they've got two waves of attack, you can't come in and shut the ball down. So if you've only got one wave, one, one line in, a, in attack, it's easy for the defence to come get to it. But they, by, the, by having a second wave a little bit deeper, uh, it makes you question your it, it makes you make a hard, it's a harder decision to make as a defender and that's what joe's been talking about is that we haven't been making good decisions and some people are coming up and in some people are are staying out and if you're going to say what type of defense of attack would test our progress in that defense well it's 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 a scottish one of mm. all the teams in this, wales are trying to play a bit more and they you know they're they are playing with more weight and they, they cause problems for us but they're still learning that, and it's personnel-driven. Um, whereas Scotland, since Gregor have come in, and in fairness to Vern, Vern had that philosophy as well. So they're well used to that. They're probably a little bit further in their development than than Wales. England play, will t threaten us differently. France 
threatening us around our physicality. So this is a big test for us in terms of how, how much we've improved. Yeah, because it, like we're going to look at ex examples from defence just in a couple of minutes, but that's exactly where they actually got those two try yeah. early tries against Ireland in, in Murrayfield yeah. last year. Like a lot of people are talking about Ireland's defence now, linking it back to, to 2015 even, because Ireland do tend to concede the tries they wise. Do you, would you go along with that? Do you think it's been a trend since? Uh, it's that different. Long I think ago? it's different. I, obviously, we were getting caught a little bit on the outside, um, but I, I don't think it's the same issue. I think um, some of the some of the you're going. I think you're going to point out is a little bit around work rate issue and actually um, helping each other out and, and actually seeing where the where the threats are. Whereas I think against against say Argentina in the World Cup, we just got caught, you know, really narrow. But we didn't actually seem to be. Um, that seemed to be a, a system error, whereas I think the system now is able to handle those types of, of, uh, of attacks. It's just, unfortunately, over the last couple of games, we haven't implemented the system properly. Mm. Yeah, we'll, we'll look at a couple yeah. examples. Like going back to Murrayfield last year, uh, you know, they left themselves in an awful position, 14 0 down after the first quarter. Um, they did manage to get that lead back, and I think that's why it rankled so much with them because they gave up that winning position. But, like, like defence, uh, obviously it's hard to defend at international level, but it's such a simple thing that the smallest little error, close to the ruck especially, can make life so difficult for the guys out wide. You know, Jacob Sockdale did make poor decisions. He, he's made poor decisions in a number of games, but he's being so stressed because at times guys further in the line where it's not as apparent, they're probably maybe playing a little bit safe with their spacing. They're not folding around the corner. And we're, we're going to look at an example here. This is the first try last year in Murrayfield. Um, you know, Scotland are picking and going at the line. Uh, they've had multiple phases here, they're on to phase 10. Um, and if we just roll it back there, uh, just before that carry, you can already kind of see the issue for Ireland. You know, they have so many bodies stacked up on this side of the rock. Uh, there's like seven guys there, three attackers. So already you're getting that kind of mismatch in defence and already you're seeing Gary Ringrose on the outside here just be a little bit exposed. Uh, Scotland go through that hard carrying phase um, and there's just the, the communication from Ireland, from these guys around, around the kind of pillar post positions, they're just not getting their head up and scanning the pitch, uh, kind of demanding guys to fold around the corner. Um, and as Scotland eventually realised that, Finn Russell sends in that trigger call. Uh, it's too late now. Ireland are making a move. You see Carney here going, Zebo going. Um, but already the damage is done. And, and Finn Russell, we, we talk about a risk-taking pass. He knows that if he can get it into that outside channel, it's actually a bit of a bounce pass here that they're going to do damage. Ring Rose really left in kind of no man's land. Uh, through no fault of his own, it's a very difficult position for him to be in. Um, and we see the reverse angle here. You know, it's quite damning for Ireland's point of view. Uh, just one attacker on the Scottish side and you've got six there. You know, full of, full of bodies on one side of the rock where there's no actual attacking threat. Um, and they're trying to fold around the corner too late. There goes Carney and Zebo. Um, so that was probably just a little communication error. Fatigue close to your line. Um, and you can see, you know, you know Ringrose slips here, but there's actually another Scottish attacker they probably could even kick past, uh, whatever. It was, a, it was a really kind of glaring opportunity. Um, but just a simple thing from Ireland, you know, guys getting their head up close to the ruck um, and folding around. This is the second try. Uh, Scotland come off a line-out platform, and Russell hits uh, Josh, Strauss in Josh Strauss in midfield. He makes a carry. Um, first of all, you probably don't want to get your two centres stuck into that tackle, but that's what it takes to get him down. And CJ Sander gets over the ball here. He's going to turn into a six, seven second rook. Like ample time to get your defence perfectly set, to get your fold to decide if you're going to hold on one side, get around the corner, uh, and also to get your spacing right. Um, and Ireland do get a fold around the corner, but as we play away, you're going to see the prize a little bit overstacked again on that side where there's no real uh, Scottish threat. 
That said, they have the bodies uh, in the defensive line, um, but it's just a spacing issue. The other angle is going to show it better, but Sean O'Brien is that third defender out from Rook, so he's ideally going to take the, the first receiver. Um, but unfortunately for Ireland, Ian Henderson just gets dragged in a little bit there. That drags Paddy Jackson in. And again, it's that man on the outside edge, Keith Earls, we're going to see, who's kind of left in, in, in the shit, let's say, by that, <laughs> by that uh, kind of poor spacing just inside him. Again, he's, he's going to struggle to get across and fill in. They've left, left with a two and one on the outside, and Kearney decides to go. Uh, Keith Earls can't get back to make the tackle. Um, and Stuart Hogg goes uh, and scores another try. You know, you're 20 minutes in, already two, two tries down. We can see the spacing here. Um, uh, there's just, you know, you want to get an even spacing across your line. You want to get everyone numbered up. Um, and Sean O'Brien, you know, he's well, he's well marking up there on, on, his, on, his, um, on the first receiver, Finn Russell. But then you're just getting this little spacing issue here, little gaps opening up between guys. Um, and Ian Henderson kind of biting in there, drags in Paddy Jackson as well. Um, and again, they're just left, uh, you know, in a poor position on the outside. And so hard for those defenders with that pace of Stuart Hogg to recover and make the tackle. This is against Italy. Um, and listen, there, there's definitely a missed tackle from Dan Levy. He should have done better here. But we're just interested in, in Kieran Marmion's communication there. He's calling for that fold. <coughs> so he's actually giving clear instructions for guys to get around the corner. Quinn Rue does come. Um, but again, it's a little spacing thing. You're going to see just when we go into the wide angle, you know, Kieran Marmion here is screaming for Toner to just get a little bit wider. You know, get a little bit wider. There's no clear threat on the inside of the ruck there, on the inside of first receiver, so we can spread a little bit further across. Um, that doesn't happen, uh, and Levy is just slightly delayed. You know, ideally, Marmion would be pushing him early there, saying, go, you go to the next man, but he can't let him go too early, and Levy just gets a little bit upfield. You know, it's poor defensively. He should still make that tackle. But those guys on the inside can probably just help them a little bit more uh, by shuffling out. You see it again. You know, you probably could have got one of those bodies around the corner even um, and made it a little bit easier. But um, Levy's left in a bad position and he, he doesn't do well in that, in that situation. Again, last man drawn in and they score a try that kind of or originates in the 15-meter channel. This is against Wales. Uh, the first try, the shingle try, like Joe Schmidt will pick out every little detail. There's Bigger, he's going to go up and win that ball in the air. Dan Levy's job is to kind of shepherd him, make sure he can't get up and have a one-on-one -on -one with, um, with Kearney. You know, he needs to run that line just in front of Bigger, accelerate there, just kind of impede him, shepherd him through, but instead Bigger gets ahead of him, you can see there. And now he's going to get up in the air for a one-on-one. -on -one. Kearney won't be happy with that, but Bigger's brilliant in the air. You're seeing now already there's Sexton saying, you know, fold around the corner, guys. And then a second later, Dan Levy does the same. But there's no response. None of these guys get around the corner. And just one body extra can allow everyone to shuffle out. If you're going to come with that line speed, then you're in a much better position. What happens really is Ireland gets slightly disjointed. These three inside defenders come up with a bit of line speed. These two guys sit off. So you're kind of getting well, disjointed that's thinking. The, that's the key there. So obviously, it's come from a situation where Dan, Lee, or Dan Biggers caught his own kick. So our defense is bound to be a little bit unstructured yeah. you know you're right about the fact that sex is talking about people to fold but this is where you can't get aggressive you know yeah. ireland just need to stay together here those three need to work with these two until we get another breakdown and we get a chance to get yeah. set but we seem to be looking for those big hits big collisions every time every time and that you know you got to pick and choose your moments and yeah. that's that, i think that'll be the message from andy Farrell. absolutely yeah because uh, that, that was stupid it was a poor decision to come up and try and shut it down yeah. because we know wales can can go wide wide you know? yeah and then you know you've got these guys who wanted to sit yeah. off just use the touch line this once we'll make a tackle on the right edge then we'll get our line speed when we're when we're organized but it's just kind of disjointed be thinking between them uh keith Earls comes forward and you're going to see scott williams making that pass over the top to get down in fairness to keith Earls, he's got a mirror what happens inside him exactly so once yeah. the first three guys get up aggressive 
Well, then the next, you know, the principal are the next. Everyone mirrors that. Yeah. But it, it happens at different times because the the guys outside those first three are expecting to go to go softer, more passive. So they get up, they try and catch up, and then Earls reacts to effectively what what started in here, and it, you know it's good attack. But that's that that'll be what Andy Farrell is looking. He's going to look for everyone to do the same thing. Yeah. You know, and have more consistency and more accuracy in terms of communication about what type of line speed to bring. Yeah, and, and just like just giving those guys on the outside edge a chance to make a better yeah. decision. Um, we see here, like you can see Dan Levy, oh, let's roll it back there. You can see him in the top right corner there. He's kind of signaling for that fold. Again, he gets a response. Guys get around the corner. But again, that spacing, um, you know, you can see the, the gap there. You know, there's four defenders close to the rock. One, two, th uh, one, uh, one, two three, four there. Um, but they don't just get that extra yeah, step if look, out. If you look at that, I mean, there's no threat around the rook. Exactly. You know, yeah. that's, that's the key. We're not, we're not basically adapting our spacing based on what the attacker's shown. Yeah. So it's like you showed the first try against Scotland last year where we had six on the blind side opposite one. You know, that's just poor. You know, we've got to scan and then we got to adapt. So here, if, if, they, if Wales have a pot of two forwards, you know, playing off nine there, well, then obviously we can afford to be a bit narrow. But there we're just basically, ha we're putting in place a, a standard, you know, your own 22 type defence. But we're not... We're not actually adapting that to what what the opposition threat is, which is obviously ability to go a little bit wider. Yeah, and they go out the back door like typical Wales. Yeah. Aaron Jones goes out the back, um, and now Bondiaki does get out to make that tackle, but Stockdale's already made his read. We mentioned earlier on, you know, this is actually three minutes of ball in play yeah. time, so this is where you get those poor decisions, especially from an inexperienced guy. And um, you see, basically, they've got two guys. Stockdale shooting in on a man who's already marked up. You know, even if you can shoot there, he makes that pass a little bit more difficult. Um, but they go over the top. Like, he should have done better on the outside edge, but I just think those issues further in will be even more relevant in, in terms of giving those guys on the outside edge a, a better chance to, to make the tackle yeah. and to make a good decision. Last one we're going to look at, you see Conor Murray there. He's come from a tackle. He's going to get back into the line. Um, I think Jack Cohen just doesn't readjust to that. You're going to see Murray reverse into the line there. Um, and he's, again, that kind of third man out from the ruck, he will feel he could have got that first receiver. It's a midfield ruck, you know, it's very hard to get line speed on those midfield rucks. Jack Conan, in fairness, is just off the bench. He wants to make an impact. And you see him here, he kind of hairs up in front of the line um, and kind of bites down inside on, on, on Hadley Parks. And that leaves a three on two on the outside. Um, three on two on the outside, you know, it's, it's just a bad read from Conan. I think he may even pay the price for that. He would have been eviscerated in the review for an error like that, especially off a midfield ruck. Um, and now you've got a three on two. Again, Ireland would probably feel they could have managed this better. The three attackers, two defenders. Uh, Scott Williams decides to take on uh, Bondiaki, but he looks comfortable enough in yeah. making that making that tackle. Unfortunately, Fergus McFadden decides to, to bite in very early and making it even worse, he doesn't stop the ball. Like, you know, if you're going to make that decision, you have to stop the ball. Uh, but he gets the offload away at Williams and Navidi's able to draw the final defender, um, draw in Kearney and hit Evans on the outside edge. So, again, it's a little individual error within the system. Probably a guy wanting to get a bit of line speed. You can see it again there from Conan. You know, if he can just ease off a little bit, drift on out, Murray's going to make that tackle uh, and they're in great shape to, to actually stop that Scottish uh, Welsh attack. Again, Fergus McFadden biting on the outside edge. So there's little fixes. There aren't clear patterns, but there are things just around the ruck in terms of guys getting their heads up and scanning. Yeah, I think if you look at some of those examples there, so like Jacob Stockdale at, <coughs> at the uh, provincial level, he probably comes in and, uh, and that, that guy hasn't got a skill set to get a pass away and it's a man and ball tackle. Jack Conan there, potentially playing for Leinster in, in, you know, in the Pro 14 or, or for Europe, he actually gets up and makes a, a tackle seven or eight yards behind the gain line. And 
Ferg is off the bench. He's trying to make an impact. And he, he comes shooting in. It's like we're maybe overly emotionally charged to try and to try and make big things happen. Whereas if you look at our attacking mindset, it's actually grind teams down. You know, we're very patient in attack. But defensively, for some reason, over the course of these couple of games, I think we've looked for the big kill early. Uh, or, or, you know, an all-or-nothing type decision. Um, and unfortunately, the teams we played against have executed pretty well. Yeah. You know, if you give international players two-on-ones or, 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 you know, three-on-two down a 50-meter channel, they execute pretty well. Whereas potentially at provincial level, you can still snuff it out. You know, you can actually make them make an error by pressure. Um, and also, I think if you look at the tries we've conceded in this championship, it's kind of when we've been in control of the game. So even the Teddy Thomas try against France, I know we were only one score up, but we never felt really threatened. You know, so it was a poor, we didn't, it was a, it was a reasonably poor exit, but we, and we just didn't get our numbers right, and then bang. You know, but again, at provincial level, yeah. you don't come up against someone like Teddy Thomas who can actually exploit that, and you get away with it. Against Wales, we were kind of controlling the game. We got maybe two scores ahead, and then we conceded. So I, I wonder, and against Italy, the game was one when we conceded. So is it lapses of, of concentration? Is it two things? Is it, you know, a lapse of concentration when we're comfortable? And then secondly, is it inexperienced players trying to make big things happen too early? Yeah, that's really interesting because, like, that final quarter is going to be an issue because Scotland, yeah. they'll, they'll still bring the tempo. Really interesting comment from Joe Schmidt. We, we were asking him basically for a tribute on Jamie Heaslip. And one of the things he mentioned was, uh, Jamie was always there in the final quarter. And he, he didn't say it specifically about these games, but he said Jamie hasn't been there in the final quarters mm -hmm. the last couple of weeks. A guy who, you know, never yeah. settles, never goes, oh, we've won this game. He's seen it enough times. Um, and they're probably meet, missing his leadership. He, he was one of the massive leaders. You always saw him in those huddles. Uh, you know, if they concede that first try against Wales, we cut this out, let's focus yeah. back in. So that, that final quarter is definitely a, a big challenge for Ireland, and, and they're definitely missing Yeah, and I, I actually, I think what Jamie was brilliant at was actually coaching during during the game so like um if you ever listen to a ref a ref mike when uh when ireland were playing or Lens were playing with mike ross effectively jamie was basically shouting at him the whole game get the pillar wider wider rossi but he just didn't do that for rossi he did it for a multitude of players and when you're fatigued in those last 20 minutes it's not it probably if, he, if he's having to talk in the huddle it's too late you know, you've conceded a, a try, whereas what he was very good at was actually managing situations and making sure, you know, you showed some clips of guys waving, get one more in a fold, but no one reacted. Hmm. Whereas Jamie had a, there's different types of communication, you can speak a lot, but if, if the player doesn't listen, you know, and it's not concise and it's not with, a, with authority, you know, you won't get the action you want. And I think yeah. that's, that's an example of an area that we're just lacking a little bit at the moment of that clarity of communication, which in defence, like the best defenders actually never have to, very rarely have to make a tackle. You know, like Brian was Brian Driscoll was a brilliant defender, but what he did was he he painted a picture for the attack yeah. that made them do what he least wanted them to do. Yeah. You know, or, or or he made sure that he was never left short on the inside, um, so he could get off the line and and they you know Finn Russell type wouldn't throw that pass. So that's the that's the difference at the moment. We're not really we're not communicating well enough to give us you know much better picture to yeah. take away the the attacks threat. Well, they need guys to step up in that regard. Like you're missing Sean O'Brien, yeah. another guy sure. who's always over the Tough ref, Mike real kind of chirpy voice yeah. um, but they need people to step up Bundyaki has to step up and be really communicative yeah. Johnny Sexton does it already but there definitely need to be more guys doing yeah. that last quarter especially sure super it's like being picked last in PE there it was really enjoyable well done <laughs> we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the teams get the last predictions and uh, the rest we'll also have questions from yourselves as well but uh, we'll chat you in 15 minutes cheers yeah.
We'll kick off again there. So I should have said at the start, by the way, that um, when I mentioned that we we're looking for you, uh, questions from you guys at the end, we are also giving away a pair of tickets for the weekend's game, courtesy of Volkswagen, I know. Uh, so the b best question, we'll leave it up to the big man beside me to uh, decide what the best question me? is. You don't mind, do you? No, okay. Murray. <laughs> 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 uh, so yeah, pair of tickets with thanks to Volkswagen we're giving away for Ireland versus Scotland. So we'll take your questions at the end for the two guys here. And um, we'll kick off with teams. I think you can almost predict the Ireland team. It's pro maybe some of the more contentious decisions might actually be on the bench. You mentioned uh, Jack Conan's kind of poor read there against Wales and he might fall foul of that a little bit in Joe Schmidt's eyes. Maybe Jordy Murphy might sneak onto the bench there. Yeah, possibly, especially considering that the breakdown, which Bernie's going to look at, is going to be such a key, key area. Jordy probably gives you a bit more, Jordy Murphy gives you a bit more in that area coming off the bench. If they're going to be relentlessly attacking that breakdown, looking for those turnovers they thrive off. Um, apart from that, Furlong and Henderson are back. A massive boost. Uh, to have two world-class guys come back into your team, the dynamism of Henderson, Furlong as well, obviously a set-piece time. Um, and they also give you a little bit more in terms of their passing ability. They've moved the ball quite frequently, actually, in this championship when they've played. Um, I guess the, the big one that's going to change things up is Gary Ringrose coming back in at 13. Um, a different player to Chris Farrell, who did brilliantly, so unlucky to miss out, having been so outstanding on his Six Nations debut. Uh, but Ringrose probably offers a little bit different uh, attacking kind of focus. You know, he has that outside break. His footwork's maybe a little bit better. He's got a darting kind of acceleration. So it probably gives Ireland a, a gain in that area. I guess the big one for him is defensively coming back in. When he came back from that shoulder injury initially, uh, you know, he's slipping off a couple of tackles. But he has actually put on a bit of size. You can actually see it in the photo. He's put on a bit of weight so while, he's had that, uh, <laughs> while he's had that ankle surgery and rehab. So... I think he's a brilliant defensive reader, so now it's about him uh, getting those shots on. But y you certainly don't lose much. You've already lost three outside centres. I, I don't think many other teams could cope as well. Um, and it probably shows the depth coming through. So, yeah, a couple of changes for Ireland, but relatively settled overall. Chris Farrell's a man you know well, yeah. obviously. And uh, as Murray mentioned, unlucky. Like, it's, he seemed, given the performance he put in against Wales, it seemed like he was on the precipice of not necessarily becoming a mainstay, but becoming just a, a really key figure. And I'm sure he will be when he returns to fitness. But what I mean by that is almost just sort of embedding himself properly in the in the public conscience, if you will, as, as a really important player for Ireland. Just that injury break kind of sets yeah, him back it, again. It's cruel time, and, uh, and um, obviously he's going to be out for a little while. But I think at least now he's shown it. He's had a start in the Six Nations and against a, a quality side, and he's shown how good he is. You know, he, he, when he was... Very good for us in France for, for two seasons. A lot of top 14 clubs were interested in him. I know Saracens were interested in him. Joe was very much involved in getting him back and convinced him that to come back to Ireland to, to put himself available to play for Ireland. I think in November, you know, he had a, he had a really solid game with Bundy. Um, and then, obviously, to do it at Six Nations level, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a killer for him in terms of morally, but... Um, for his morale, but he, at least now he's done it, and he's not wondering, am I good enough to play this level? And Ireland, are, are, like Gary Ringrose, is getting an opportunity now to come in, and he's he's potentially world class. So we're incredibly um, well resourced in in that area. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not long ago that Andy Farrell said Gary Ringrose was very close to going on lines towards. Yeah. So you're not losing a, a whole lot. You're getting something different, certainly in terms of his 
attacking plays, intelligence. Um, and we're talking about defensive communicators. That, that's a big challenge for him now. 11 caps. Can he turn into that guy like Brian Driscoll, who was just brilliant on the outside edge, feeding in that information, getting those guys to, to drag their spacing a little bit wider, um, and then getting the line speed and getting that shot on. So great chance for him. It's opened up probably a little bit sooner than he expected in this championship. Yeah, and I think as well, I was actually quite lucky. I know people say, oh, I could have done an extra game against the Scarlets. Obviously, that was caught off because of the snow. But sometimes when you come back from an injury, you know, you get to your first game and then there's a bit of a, a dip in terms of how you feel physically the second week. So he actually got a chance to, to get a little bit of downtime and now he'll hopefully be on, the, on an upward curve. So they call it the bounce. It's like a racehorse. I'm into my racehorses. Um, if a horse, first time out, they can run great after a long layoff. But then second, second week, they, second race out, they're a little bit, um, bit down themselves or a little bit weak in terms of energy level. So potentially that game called off against the Scarlets because of the snow. Um, could actually be good for him, and he gets uh, he gets two weeks prep going into you know a test match. That's interesting because Eddie Jones is talking about that with Ben Teo, and I thought he was just using an easy excuse to drop him. But <laughs> we, we, we do use that as an excuse to drop him. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> he, <laughs> we use lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Yeah. It's a real thing. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as for a partnership, I suppose uh, Aki and Ringrose is probably something we're less familiar with than even Aki and Farrell, given that they played uh, two tests together. Like, what do they bring as a pair? Obviously, it's a kind of a maybe a dynamism, and as you said, that sort of outside break that Ringrose can bring to the table. Like, it, can we become a more potent attacking unit with the two of them in the centre than we might have with Aki and Farrell, even though they're not necessarily similar players, they are both kind of more on the physical side more so than... Yeah, there's probably a little bit more balance there now. Um, and like Ireland have, like, they have key kind of cornerstones for the game plan that every single time they, there's non-negotiable. But Joe Schmidt does tend to mix it up slightly. I think against Scotland it'll be a little bit looser. Against Wales when they got into the 22, it was all about battering their way over the trial and really clever kind of latching. We're going to look at some of the running lines a little bit later on. Um, but it was very direct. It was very power-based because they felt they could kind of just overpower that slightly less experienced pack. Um, I think it'll be slightly different again against the, against the Scots. A couple more of those link passes at the back that we'd seen before against Italy um, and back in November as well. And a guy like Gary Ringrose really thrives in those circumstances where he is on that second wave where he's got time to use his footwork which is exceptional and his passing game I know is the Southern Kings but he had a couple of lovely touches as well uh, in that game so yeah I'm excited to see him in what hopefully will be a, a slightly more expansive kind don't of underestimate game. the Southern Kings <laughs> <laughs> don't mention the war I apologize <laughs> <laughs> he's not one of your big signings you're planning in the next couple of weeks no. ring rolls, no? No. Uh, on the Scotland side of things only one change um, Blair Kinghorn comes in for Tommy Seymour and apart from sounding like a peripheral character in Game of Thrones and or a porn star he can actually play <laughs> a little bit of ball as well six foot five but I mean in fairness he's coming on he, he's yeah. coming on to the right wing for Scotland he usually operates as a fullback um, but he has been training I think uh, in Townsend set up for the entire Six Nations as a winger that they were prepared to use him there. Yeah, I mean, he's an exceptionally exciting player. He's been absolutely brilliant in the Pro yeah. 14. Um, as you say, at fullback, maybe it kind of hints at what Scotland are attempting to do or attempting to negate with his uh, height and his strength in the air up against Stockdale. Um, but he's also extremely elusive. He's 
uh, played sevens for Scotland and, and excelled there. Uh, I think his, his coach is comparing to a, a giraffe when he gets up to top speed, so not the most pleasing uh, aesthetic style of running, but he's, he's a really exciting talent. Only 21, he played three years of under 20s, so yeah. he's been on their pathway for a long time, get him through the sevens, get him into Edinburgh. Um, and I don't think it's by accident that he's coming into this game. You know, obviously there's an injury there, but he's absolutely been prepared all the way. And he definitely will link up well with Stuart Hogg. He, he loves to counter-attack. He thrives in those kick returns. Um, where Scotland are so strong so it does actually kind of boost him a little bit in that area yeah I mean normally when you have a 21 year old coming into an international setup for their test debut you kind of think he's a guy you can put under pressure maybe but like in Kinghorn he started for probably similar to uh, your setup at the Dragons then where they're bringing through teenagers but at Edinburgh he started I think his first game at 18 he's played 59 times for them scored 13 tries I think now it's not obviously international level but he's clearly got a sort of a big game mentality or at least he's got broad enough shoulders to have played from that early age good stats Gav uh, yeah, thank you very I much mean, I mean you're going to test him no matter yeah. what he's 21 like, if you're the opposition coach yeah. what are you thinking let's put a high ball in him early yeah, on sure. uh, test him under one of those box kicks you got to do it you got to see if he's got the medal for it get a contact on him see how he reacts um, but uh, yeah I do think he's, he's pretty well built for a big boy and and well able to move as well. So I don't think he's a, a glaring weakness, but Ireland will absolutely go and look at him early on. Are they missing much in Seymour? Yeah, he's, he's worked really well in that back three in those 15-meter channels. We saw an example early on. Uh, when he gets onto the front foot, he's brilliant, really good in the air at times as well. Does have the odd error, as, we, as we've seen in a couple of re recent games as well. Um, so yeah, they're missing his, his experience, and he's more proven, certainly, but I don't think they're losing too much with, with Blair Kinghorn. I, I look at that pack, and I just think... That's the area that, that Ireland can really um, get on top. You know, they're they're absolute ferocious warriors. But and we saw that against against England when they were when they were well up for it. But I think the Irish mall, the Irish rocking um, against their breakdown is going to be better. And um, I think that might be a, an area where Ireland will really thrive. Bernard, you're going to take a look at Scotland's threat at the breakdown. Yeah, yeah just obviously um, it was a key key factor in, the, in them beating uh, England. And England didn't help themselves. They're their work rate on the ground post tackle was poor. They, they were quite a static target for for the Scottish jackler. They often had a two man rooks. So you know it, what Scotland, what most teams will do is they'll actually they'll scan what kind of shape the attacker in. And and generally, if your first support is a is a back, you know they'll look to flood that breakdown or go after it hard. Or if there's if there's a gap, if there's too much distance between that third support player, they'll go after it. against England. Scotland seemed to have a mentality was of they're actually going to just go after every rook. And they got six, six turnovers, and they slowed down the ball that, that they didn't win, and they made England look really inept in, in, that, competi in that game. Now, I think that's a factor. Some of that's a factor of how the, if Eva Premiership is refereed, that you don't get reward um, for, for jackling, which means you can win your own rook ball with one and two players. Mm -hmm. um, but they got exposed to international level. I'm sure it's going to be a, been a big work on for, for England, obviously, post this game. But from Scotland's point of view, they got massive gain from that. Um, if you look at how, how Wales defended against Ireland, they very rarely went after the, the breakdown. So Ireland had easy ball and quick ball. And Ireland's power game was able to, I suppose, grind Wales down. So it's going to be interesting how I think Ireland are very efficient at the breakdown. But if we get our numbers wrong, if we get our um, our, our first support, if his clean-out technique isn't good, they'll get. And also, the first to pay the referee because Nigel Owens does yeah does favour the referee. Wayne Barnes <laughs> referee a little bit differently, but Wayne, Nigel Owens does referee does favour the defensive size. But if you're if you're scouting Scotland, you just look at their effect here. You know, it's a chop tackle, and Hamish Watson's just on that. He's clamped on. You've got John Barkley um, just 
just getting in support here. Again, I don't know how to use this. There, yeah. Um, he's just getting in there and actually supporting Hamish Watson, clamping onto him, and they get a, a clean turnover after, after four minutes. And that just gives him a massive boost in terms of their energy. Um, and also frustrates England again here. You know, just a one-off runner. You'd expect England, it's only two yards from the previous rook. You expect England to be able to deal with that quickly. And you see Hamish Watson are chopping from the outside. And Adam, Adam Gilchrist, you know, usually second rows aren't the best jacklers in the game. I know Ty Byrne is, is phenomenal in that area, but, uh, you know, generally they aren't. It's usually your back rows or your smaller front row types. But he just gets in there. You know, Courtney Laws isn't as aggressive. He loses the race. He's there, he's, he's there, um, he's there second. Body height's poor. And he just gets in there and he, he rides the, the jackal launcher, he comes in, you know, and it's another turnover. And it's just, it gave, it gave Scotland so much possession um, and it, it meant England could never get that quick ball that they needed to actually threaten them. That's John Barkley. The difference between Scotland and, and probably other teams is that their whole back row have that ability of jackal. So um, it's, it's Watson, it's uh, Ryan Wilson, it's uh, John Barkley, you've got Gilchrist and you've got McAnally. So I would say in their pack, They've got five players who are very, very uh, good technically, you know, and they just destroyed. There, Barkley sees the first supporters lady comes in, gets on that ball, and that led to the to a, to a try, but also it just gave them such energy, you know. And again, the second half, England start chasing the game. England, you know, you'd say Ireland won't attack like that, you know. They always have support around the ball, but if we do get our numbers wrong, if we do get our, our organisation wrong, Scotland will exploit that, and Joe will be. You know, he'll be hammering our defence this week, but also he'll be hammering our, our breakdown work because, you know, that performance against England was probably as impressive breakdown defensive performance as we've seen yeah. in the last 12 months at, at any game in international yeah. level. Because other teams have been kind of standing off a little bit more since they, they've changed, tweaked the laws. And yeah, and yeah, well, attacking that, yeah, they changed the laws a little bit, at, um, or they changed the law over the summer that the tackler has to get out. In the old days, last year, you could stay, you could stay that side. There's got to be clear release. He's got to get out of his own. So well, Wales, Wales have two calls, basically, or most teams have two calls. You know, if, if you spot an opportunity, you flood that and go after it hard. If not, you just call something like ice and just stay out. Right. And, uh, but Scotland seem to, it suits them, but it also means if they, go after, if they put two or three players into that defensive rook and we can get that ball away quickly, it'll open up opportunities obviously wider because you know they've lost numbers in their yeah. front line. I think it also shows like, how important kind of a team shape is because yeah. England play with those they play with two man forward pods so one carrier one rucking player and as you were saying earlier on another guy has to get from the previous ruck to, to be that second arriving player whereas Ireland you have a ball carrier and you always have what they call the left barrel right barrel yeah. two guys are always there to clear ruck the third man is the guard over the ball so there's always those three roles in pretty much every ruck if not four guys yeah. sometimes they have too many in a ruck actually hurting so when you do those rucks that's you're kind of tagging on a few yeah. extra ruck inspectors or whatever but they play such a focus on just retaining that position. Yeah, and we never, we've, because we were willing to put extra bodies in if we have to, because players for our edge on the, on the side of security rather than staying holding weight or whatever, we, we, can lose, we can get quite narrow on defence in attack as well, but we very rarely lose the ball. You know, we got stripped a couple of times against Wales in the first half in their 22, but that was, that was pre-Rook. That was actually going to ground. Wales yeah. got in and, and, and stripped the ball out of us. Yeah. So I think we, in theory, if we attack like we have been attacking, It'll be hard for them to get the same kind of gains that they yeah. got against uh, England. Yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating to see how those different philosophies marry up. Because when England get a good two-man rock with, with that second guy coming around, like there's so many different options for Farrell and Ford to pick from. Yeah. There's always a double decoy from forwards. There's always an extra man at the back. So, yeah, it's about your priorities. And 
And for Joe Schmidt, it always is that ruck. It's always central. But because England were playing that sort of premiership type where they're only committing two men to a ruck, and like Scotland clearly felt and Gregor Townsend clearly felt we can go after him in this area. But because then Ireland commit more men, do Scotland then have to completely adjust their approach? Like, can you chance it by just piling yeah, men in again? Know, I think, uh, yeah, obviously, I think that they will, when they analyse Ireland, they'll, they'll say they have to basically make more decisions based on the scenario. The scenario, yeah. yeah. rather than we can go after every ruck. Because if they go after every ruck... Um, they'll get caught. They'll get caught too narrow, and, and we'll also they got to adapt to Wayne Barnes. You know, if he, you know, he's one of the referees. The referees in the EU Premiership, which is you know why England probably don't have that that consistency. The, the advantage for Ireland and and Scotland and Wales of the Guinness Pro 14 is you've got it's much harder to manage the referees and have them all with the same philosophy. So uh, if the Viva Premiership referees meet up every Monday in, in Twickenham. They review their games. It's really easy for them to get a a consistent style of refereeing, mm. but with Italians, Welsh, Scottish, and Irish, you know, Greg Garner's the head of the referees for Pro 14. Obviously, he can do his reports and reviews, but it's so hard to get that consistency because, you know, the Irish referees will referee, to a certain extent, the Irish way, the Scottish. So our players are used to adapting week on week in Europe or in the Pro 14 to a to a different refereeing style, whereas potentially for the, I think for the English referees, English players, they've got a, a much more consistent style in the Viva Premiership, which doesn't help them when they, when they go into Europe or help them when they go to international level. Yeah, and Ireland's, Ireland's discipline has been massive yeah, in this massive championship. Like, whenever they're successful, their penalty count is extremely yeah. low. I think even at scrum time, they've given maybe one penalty away. Yeah. Around the pitch, it's been, again, at a peak. Like, there's another core part of Joe Schmidt's yeah. philosophy like if you're not giving away penalties a team like Wales can't get three minutes of ball in play yeah. time they can't drag you side sure. to side so that's like those little things are, are massive for Joe Schmidt and and we're seeing now the importance of them while they're scoring tries yes they're they're also getting their their discipline absolutely bang on yeah just to continue the England bashing very briefly what <laughs> were they a little bit complacent then in not adjusting because like it seemed that they at no point in that Scotland game decided or made a conscious decision to commit more men it was just like this is what we've brought there was yeah. no no real plan b at the yeah, break I think the same thing happened if you look at um what was it called Fox when Italy Italy um decided not to contest, contest the yeah. rook and come around the side and I think Eddie Jones said afterwards oh we weren't good enough about getting that message on Remember, it took to half time. Yeah. Um, and, and potentially here, I don't. I, it's not. It's. I don't think it's a. Me, it's. Uh, it's a message from Eddie Jones. I mean, they they do take that risk. They're, effectively, what is what they want is to support the third man to come from inside. Mm. Um, so they can hold their weight on the outside. So if he's just a little bit off, or what you'll actually see is that Scotland sometimes trapped him a little bit extra at mm. that last rook. So it was quite te technical. So he was supposed to come earlier, but he got held in into the breakdown you can see a bit of a row on, on yeah. one of those where so they, they know where that inside support's coming from so effectively it was individual error or a really cute play by by scotland because if it, if you say oh listen start flooding that rook from outside well then you lose your your attacking shape so eddie jones obviously felt we just got to fix the we just got to implement our style properly and and the again like People are kind of sneering at England saying, oh, this shows they're not going to compete with the All Blacks yeah. of the World Cup. I actually think it's the best thing 
in a way that could have happened to him because now he has to question everything. He has to question how reactive his team is, how they adapt to things on the pitch. He has to question, what, you know, personnel. Is Harley the right captain? Is he going to lead us out of difficult situations like that? Um, his open side, the breakdown is massive. You know, Chris Robshaw still is seven. So I think we're going to see changes there. Um, and while it is a setback in terms of their momentum and all of that, uh, it definitely poses a lot of questions for, for Eddie Jones. And I, I think that's a good yeah, thing I think, for I think in 2003 they, went, they won a World Cup um, without winning a couple of Grand Slams going into it I mean and they're still very much alive in this competition mm. I know yeah. we're all saying yeah. oh we can win the Grand we can win the championship this weekend yeah we can but also we might have to go to, to Twickenham to win to, to win the championship so I wouldn't write off England you know they had a, they had a tough tough afternoon against you know a Scottish team who were who are talented but they're still very much contenders for, for this championship and a World Cup absolutely Murray, you're going to look at uh, some of Ireland's clever running lines, I believe. Yeah, well, we actually just want to start with Hugh Jones. Like we, we've spoken about Ring Rose there, um, but Jones, uh, as you mentioned earlier on, is his try scoring ability is freakish. Uh, his pace is exceptional, but also his ability to pick out lines. Um, his running lines are are really uh, subtle at times, but really effective. You spoke about scanning in defence, but he's brilliant at scanning in attack. Uh, he's always got his head up and he's really good at reacting to little cues. So in this instance, he's on the ground there actually. They've come on the counter-attack Scotland um, and they're gonna play in field uh, a couple of rucks uh, just as they come back at the French. Uh, there's Gilchrist uh, hammering it up um, and still Hugh Jones is just getting off his feet here. Uh, they're gonna play in field again to Johnny Gray just here, uh, he's going to make another carry in field. But now you've got Hugh Jones back on his feet. Um, uh, sorry, I'll just circle him there. Um, and he's, he's a player who's really good at conserving his energy. You know, I'd love to see his GPS stats because people talk about that huge work rate, but he tends to be often walking around the pitch waiting for his chance to pounce. And then those explosive moments are even more powerful almost. So he's kind of walking across the pitch there. You can see him now, he's got his head scanning. Um, so he's not actually running and sprinting to get into a position, he's just waiting for the opportunity. Um, and the opportunity, as we run it on slowly, presents itself here. He sees that Buxis is going to have to go to that pillar position at the edge of the ruck. Um, he sees that Vahamahina is barely moving across the pitch. So his read instantly is, if I can get into that space, I'm going to beat Vahamahina because he's not going to close early enough into that pillar post position. Um, so he gives that little trigger call. We don't know exactly what it is, obviously, but he gives the call to Laidlaw, says, I'm coming on that short line. And you see him just coming right through in between that pillar and post defender. Now, Vahamahina does react. He sees him, picks him up late, but it's a blind kind of angle. So he hasn't actually seen him until the very last moment in his peripheral vision. And by the time he reacts, you know, Jones is able to get that fend. Uh, the covering sweeper defender isn't able to react. So just shows the kind of quality of his line running. Um, and we saw it in the example earlier on when he scored against England uh, off the nine. And, and we've seen that from Ireland actually quite a bit. They, they've used their centres as another kind of tool in the 22. So it's not always just one off uh, hitting up the forwards. Like, you know, you're expecting CJ Sanders to get on the ball there. Rory Best is going across to, to kind of resource that. And that's certainly what the Welsh are expecting. You know, heads are in looking at that ball. Ken Owens. Uh, is probably the key guy. He doesn't get his head up and scan. Um, and then just out of a blind angle again, there comes Chris Farrell. Now, Owens does pick him up here, but it's just too late and he's able to use his footwork, his power, and get right over the gain line, put Ireland in a, a really dangerous position close to the try line. It's a simple little tool, but we're seeing it repeatedly from Ireland. Here's another example. Um, and actually at the back, you can see Chris Farrell waving like a madman. 
Uh, but in this game, Ireland weren't going to go out there. I think Keith Earls, we've seen him so much in this championship, just like this on the outside edge. But in this sense, he wasn't, wasn't going to get the ball. It's Bundyaki. Um, and again, you've got that forward carrying pod. That's what Wales are expecting. You can see how tight they are to the ruck here. Again, all their heads are turned in. And then just on a late angle, Bondiaki comes. And again, they react well, but he's able to just stretch out there uh, and get that score. Really good finish. Here it is again. Uh, Murray on the ball at the base of the ruck. Again, that's the pass you're expecting to Jack Conan. Uh, and Bonnie's the defender there. He's kind of committed to that narrow channel. Um, and again, that late line from Robbie Henshaw just coming back against the grain uh, to finish really powerfully. Uh, you see the angle again here. There's Bonnie's head just looking in. So it's a really difficult position. And this defender does actually pick it up a little bit later. But it's really difficult for them to react to someone who's coming back across the grain. And you risk getting absolutely smashed in this as well. Like if they pick you up early, they're going to get a really good strong shoulder on you. Um, but I think it's just been a nice little uh, tweak that Ireland have added to their game plan. Again, there's Jack Conan in a perfect position to carry the ball. He's got support all around him. Um, and that's certainly what the Italians are expecting. But there's the angle again, back against the grain. And this defender is just reacting a little bit too late. And Aki, his power again, he's able to re reach out and stretch down, uh, put, put that down. So it just points to another little tweak that Joe Schmidt's added in, in that 22 power game, that, that it's not always those carriers. We've seen a couple of passes out the back door. And this, although it's very simple, um, just really good lines running from, from the Irish. Uh, just Irish go back centers. a little bit. So you just see all wrong, Murray. All no, no, wrong. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, go back a little bit more. So in all these examples, so what the example we showed earlier about how, um, I'm not sure what game it was, but Ireland didn't, there was no threat off nine, yet Ireland were really narrow. If you look at all these examples, you know, you, sh you spoke about Chris Farrell out the back screaming for the ball. There's always someone out the back, which means that the third or fourth defender, his eye line is on the guy out the back. So Whereas if you, yeah, exactly. If you don't have that threat, then they can all look in and they can all smash that, that hard or center come on coming yeah. on a hard line. But Ireland have basically two options here, and that just creates a disconnect between the third or fourth defender and the fifth, sixth defender who are worried about... So at that, this moment, they're, they're worried about the, the ball out the back to, yeah. to Farrell and White, and then they, they, lose, they lose the set in Bundiaki in their eye line. Mm. So it's, it's good shape. It looks simple, yeah. but it's actually good shape, and it's having that animation up front and out the back which changes the challenges the defence, which the weak link in the defence is, is generally between the third and fourth defender. Hmm. I think it's just a sign, as you say, it's the shape. It's a sign that Ireland are still developing. And, and Joe Schmidt gets so angry when people talk about their yeah. attack not developing. But these shapes are there now. It's, it's just a case of being really consistent in the decision making. So there are times like, you know, it's very much on at the back door there. It takes a really strong finish from Bundyaki. Um, but, but I think the shapes are consistently there. They've done it at the back door against teams yeah. like Italy, probably slightly weaker teams. So the challenge is now to do it consistently against the, the very best. Yeah, the risk is if you go at the back door and you get caught behind the gain line, you know, you lose momentum. And I think what the difference between Ireland this year against Wales was we were actually kind of able to bully them a little bit. So if you look at why Wales beat us <laughs> over the last four or five years, it was, it was Faletau, it was Lydia, it was Jake Ball, it was George North, um, it was Jamie Roberts. It was Jonathan Davies, whereas in that game, we had the, the dominant ball carriers. Yeah, and that's, that's really fascinating development for Ireland yeah. because we were just talking at the break there, the three guys who have come in 
uh, Stockdale, Porter, James Ryan, who've really pushed the team on, they're just exceptional athletes. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's scarcely believable how big an impact James Ryan is making as a 21-year-old as a lock. Uh, and Andrew Porter the same as a tight head prop. Mm. Positions where you generally have to build up experience and durability. But these guys are incredible athletes. Same with Jacob Stockdale. You know, if he wasn't six foot four, if he wasn't such a big guy, I wonder if they'd put up with those yeah. defensive mistakes just for his try scoring ability. But they can see that he's a world-class athlete as good as anything out there um, and, they're, and they're worth backing so it's been interesting to see Ireland develop that side of the game and I think Joe Schmidt has been co uh, cognizant of that fact maybe in the past Irish teams haven't always been that physical across the board and, and then once you add those decision-making yeah. things the, the shape around that as well on top of them being athletically brilliant well you're heading towards being a very complete team Excellent. Well, before we come back for predictions we'll take a couple of questions um, if we want to get ready there we do have a couple from Instagram, uh, worryingly. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Flanagan, uh, at Anthony.Flanagan84. Cheers for your uh, question, Anthony. He asks, what position do Ireland need to improve on from what we've seen so far to have a chance of lip lifting the Webb Ellis? So Anthony is already yeah. Grand Slam in the bag, probably next year's Six Nations as well. Yeah, looking ahead to uh, Japan. Yeah, like is there one particular position? Yeah, I don't think there's a, a glaring weakness really across the team, and the depth is certainly good. I think it is probably just that um, collective ability to be able to beat teams in more ways than one, more ways than one. Like you know, against the All Blacks in Chicago, famously, Ireland were brilliant up front. The mall was really important. Their rocking was yeah. key, but also they had that bravery at times to go to the width. You think of that Simon Zebo kick where they went wide off the scrum and pressurised off the kick before Robbie Henshaw kind of scored that clinching try. Um, it's being able to do that consistently against the best teams. Like The issue is you're not playing those best teams all the time. So that's why November is so important, getting another shot at the All Blacks this year. I don't see a glaring weakness, to be honest, no. in terms of personnel. I think he, Joe Schmidt is so clever in the way he develops things, the way he's built that depth. Um, potentially, you know, back up out half. You know, Joey Carberry's an exceptional talent, but he, he's not really getting games at 10, is he? If Johnny Sexton goes down injured again, well, there's a, a big dilemma, you know. Uh, Keatley's there, Blaine Dahl has been injured, who was in the mix before he was coming into camp. So I think building the depth in that position might be, might be really key because without Johnny Sexton, it's a very different picture. How are you fixed at 10? Would you take Joey over there for a couple no of years? Yeah, free trial. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who do we have here? Dan J. Brady, at Dan J. Brady, he says, would losing to Scotland but beating England to take the championship be like kissing your sister? <laughs> like the lion's draw <laughs> and if yes what would a grand slam be like well i'm sorry that, that that'd be like kissing dan's sister i suppose these are it's a kiwi phrase yeah, they yeah. kept talking about that during yeah. the i would say i would say yeah, losing to scotland and and beating england to win a six nations would be far better than kissing your sister <laughs> You're, it's, it's winning a six nations like kissing your sister is never good yeah. let's get away from that analogy maybe um, yeah sorry yeah, dan well, i don't think you'll be yeah. getting the tickets but thank you for your question <laughs> I think, uh, like, before this championship, I thought Ireland were going to win those four games and lose in Twickenham. I still haven't really moved away from that. Yeah. Um, like, England, like, like, it's hard to imagine England losing two games in a championship, especially when they're finishing up in Twickenham. Um, so I, I, I think it's going to happen the other way around. I think Ireland are going to possibly win the championship, but actually lose, lose on the final day. Fair enough. Have we got questions from you guys here? There's one for us in the middle. How's it going, guys? Um, I have a question about uh, sports administration, so I don't expect to be winning the tickets either. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to win them. <laughs> I think uh, it's been a pretty good season overall for Irish rugby, uh, a few ups and downs. Uh, the IRFU have been having a bit of a howler of it lately, though. Uh, I think it's fair to say 
they've had a few scandals that have been complete own goals. You think back to how they dealt with the Grobler situation in Munster, um, how they've how they've reacted to some of the off-field issues in Ulster and the procession of exits from the Ulster uh, backroom team as well. Is is it possible that the RFU are a bit too comfortable in terms of their accountability and how, how how they seem to be able to go from scandal to scandal without any particular repercussions? And thinking also on, on the uh, journalist uh, relationship, which has been quite poor this year as well. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Well, uh, scandal to scandal, I think, is yeah. probably a bit strong. Um, there certainly have, yeah, there's, but there certainly have been issues. There certainly have been issues that could have been better managed and more proactively. Like the Grobler case, you know, it was a story that picked up. It was clearly going to turn into this massive, um, massive story, a massive issue that was going to be talked about. Instead of being proactive and getting out, you know, telling Gareth Fitzgerald maybe a monster, we need you to go out and take one for the team. Explain why we did this, and the story will move on a little bit quicker. Instead, it was kind of piecemeal. Even before he made his Pro 14 debut, there was a little statement on a monster press release kind of bringing it up again so i definitely think they could be better at managing those things and being a little more um i don't know communicative in, in those instances i think they are trying that i think like the grobler thing is something they learn from um philip brown mentioned like we probably won't sign a player like this again and um, the ulster one like i know that RFU are deeply frustrated with what's going on in ulster like that that is more on the ulster organization than the RFU. you know they, they do have to give them a certain amount of freedom and how they how they run the organisation, but um, they're certainly not happy with, with what's been going on in there, uh, and it will affect the national team if it's not remedied, if, if Ulster kind of keep going backwards, which it looks like like they might do. Um, but yeah, I think the RFU could probably communicate a little bit earlier in some of these issues, but um, no, like it's, it's a tough position. Everyone's always, always there to chip away at you, and they certainly don't do everything right, I, w I wouldn't say, but um, yeah, they're, they're probably trying to learn from the, the things that have, have happened this year. I season. do think as well, they do let, you know, the four provinces, um, have yeah. a certain amount of autonomy and you know they only really step in when when they need to so, and I think that's important as well we want to keep our identity we want um, the provinces will, will always want to have a certain amount of responsibility for their own patch um, and probably in, in in this case you know if you've got a lot of flack for for instance that you know maybe didn't have complete control over you know and you could say oh well they do fund everything and they do have a final sign off but I think you know if you're working for Leinster Munster Ulster Connacht you don't want to have to get everything signed off mm -hmm. by the by the IRFU as well. So um, at the end of the day, they they take the flak, but I think they will look at maybe the systems and, and the and the policies in place. Um, you know, at provincial level, that that's put kind of thrown them under the bus. A little yeah, bit. and even just being a bit more involved in those decisions, decisions. probably that's exactly. going to happen as a result of this. Like Razi Erasmus was <coughs> one who went out, found Grobler, said, yeah. "I need a lock. I've lost Donica Ryan at a late stage. Didn't expect to." I have to have this guy in my squad. Yeah. Um, so they're obviously trying to support Munster in that way. Um, and also with Ulster, they're trying to give him that freedom, but that's absolutely got to be fixed, hasn't it? It's, it's a bit worrying at the moment up there. Yeah. Really good question, by the way. Uh, anybody else? Uh, we've seen a slight demise in France over the last couple of years. Bernard, I've heard you speak about the, maybe the over-reliance on talent maybe a lack of professionalism on an individual level yeah. uh, within the top 14 and it might be leaking through to the national side. I suppose how far behind do you think they are in terms of their own professional? Um, I'd say they're a long way behind. I'd say they're 50% you know, um, behind in terms of modern sports science, um, you know, real clear 
talent ID, um, programs, player development, uh, screening, an understanding and a, and a, a clear alignment between the national side and, and the top 14 clubs. I mean, that's why, that was officially the reason Guy Noves was, was sacked, is because he hadn't actually spoken to a lot of the top 14 coaches over over a two-year period, which is madness. You know, they're the, they're the coaches who are, present, are producing players for you, and you need to have a really good handle on on your depth chart, um, who's in form, who's out of form, who's injured, when are they back, etc. And they just haven't had that clarity. And it's the problem in France is that the, the top 14 as an organization, the, the LNR who run the top 14 are a much stronger body financially than the French Federation. Whereas obviously, Scott, SRU, WRU, IRFU, um, RFU are massively more powerful. Well, English clubs are powerful, but the RFU have got a serious amount of uh, financial power behind them, and they've managed to do a really good deal with the clubs to keep them on board. And um, that's the big issue: is politics in France. I mean, they, they do produce phenomenal players, but if they're not week to week in a in a, in a club like Claremont or um, uh, I don't know Montpellier potentially now with mm. Fern Cotter etc., where they're getting you know really really good detail and feedback around their performance, um, they've got a, a strong game plan that's, that's testing and, and, and extending and stretching their skill set, well then it's hard to step up at international level. So you'll have a, a performance like against Ireland where, you know, they come out with a lot of passion and the weather the weather probably contains Ireland a little bit and, and um, they have a huge, huge performance, but you won't get anything consistent and um, that's the big issue. So I, I think they're a long way behind. Their under-20s group this year are very good. Um, they're an exceptional group. Um, but the problem is, will they get game time in top 14 where... All the coaches are under pressure. Um, there's a hell of a amount of foreign players, mm. and that's the big thing. So there's been good under twenties who've come out before and just disappeared into into the the black hole of, of French rugby. So um, I think they're a long way away, and I think they'll they'll struggle to get back on on track or be a be a real top five team until until the clubs understand that they have an obligation to produce players for the national se- the national team. Everything there is very local. You know, if you, you want your, if, you know, if you're, if you're from Tullow, for example, in, in the south of France, you want, <laughs> you're obsessed about Tullow winning, um, and you're actually not really that bothered about France, the national team, and they, they give out about it on a Monday, but it's forgotten about by Tuesday. Whereas, if, if Clermont lose or Montpellier lose or Bordeaux lose, you know, there's hell to pay until the next, uh, next game, and that's they're very local. Whereas, you know, I think we all support a province, but we've a massive passion and interest in our national side that's not the case in france and that until that changes as well you know the 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 whole ethos and an emphasis of, of the players well because they go to french camp knowing that it's not probably the biggest thing in the in the country that that weekend and that's a that's a very rare uh, you know if you play for the all blacks wallabies ireland wales you know it's the biggest event in rugby circles that weekend or maybe of the year whereas for them, some of their club games are, are are more important a little bit. Like that, you mentioned that twenties group. Is that just sheer Pre- numbers? Yeah. Because like we talk about the RFU, one thing they do well, in fairness, and have done increasing well, is the development pathways. They're getting onto guys now, 15, 16, yeah. out of areas that haven't previously played rugby. So they're doing that really well. I sometimes wonder if French rugby really even has like a no a structure to, to to get to that. No, they don't. Team. But they rely on the, the, the top fourteen or Pro D two clubs. But the reality is that head coach who's coaching uh, at a top 14 level will never benefit from that 16-year-old. Whereas if you have somebody in each club 
whose job is solely ar around player development, he'll at some stage he'll get recognition or or credit or he'll survive in his job because he brought through, you know, um, two under 16s from his region who play for France in their 20s and hopefully play for the club. Whereas the head coaches are, are um, they're so insecure in their job, they're only worried about next weekend, you know, or the weekend after. So whereas in Ireland. You know, you look at how David Nusifora and Joe uh, uh, and the RFU, uh, potentially Joe, control the recruitment process. Everything is around. Okay, well, where's there a gap in our in our succession plan? You know, so Ruan Pinar is obviously the, the easiest example to use. You know, you got John Cooney and Connacht behind behind or competing with Kieran Marmion. We can move John Cooney or encourage John Cooney to move to Ulster, and now suddenly he's getting game time week in week out. And he's a real contender to be in the Irish squad. You know that would never happen in France. There's, there's, you know, Guinoves or or um, Brunel or or uh, or Laporte cannot ring up a top 14 club and say, listen, there's a Intermax son, um, Emil Intermax son, who's a talented 20 year old. He's not getting game time in Toulouse uh, at the moment. You know, can he go to Bordeaux for a for six months on on a, on a loan deal? That would not happen. And until that happens, they're going to have talent that's just sitting behind. Um, you know, big name players because the big clubs because there's a there's a quota, there's a GIF quota which is basically the money you get from TV rights is based around the percentage of of French qualified players you play. They hoover up all the best talent from the small clubs, and then just keep them in their squad to to fill the quota. So the best talent isn't actually sometimes allowed to stay where they came through and were produced and get game time until they're good enough to go play in a top in a in a top team. They actually get taken at 19-20, the club gets compensated with a, a cheque, but then they go and rot in a, in an S-bar. So it's, a, it's, it's messed up, yeah, it's going to take a while. And we still need a 45-metre drop goal to beat them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, but, no, because they have, they have incredible ability. They have incredible ability. But if we played France ten times, I think we'd yeah, win yeah, you know, yeah. eight times. Yeah. Yeah. It does make a change from uh, the past. We've got a gentleman down the back, another gentleman up the front here who um, has had to stand up for a while. Um, well, I'm glad I'm not French. Uh, <laughs> pretty depressing. Um, <laughs> they've a lot more sun than we have, and better wine. <laughs> yeah. Nice beaches. <laughs> Good it's food. actually two questions in the one, but the second question will be answered with yes or no. Um, I'm just interested in hearing your view on Italy's participation in the Six Nations. Do you think like there should be a change there, with Georgia and Romania being mentioned as you know participants? Um, Do you feel like there should be a one-off game? Or I know Romania beat Georgia last year. Yeah, listen. I think if 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 Zebra and Treviso weren't showing signs of of um, improvement, I'd be I'd be really worried. I think it's been pretty hard for Connor um, to go in there and get twenty-seven or twenty-eight of the thirty-man squad who are used to you know getting beaten every week and trying to create a. Uh, get a winning mentality and, and confidence to play a test match. Um, I think what he's done is, you know, he's obviously brought in someone like Steve Abood. They're looking at their academy structure. The under twenties this year, are you know, are, are decent. Um, Zebra and Treviso have improved, and you have to hope that that's going. And there's good coaches like Connor's brought in good coaches with him. So, if I, I think Italy, even though we haven't seen it, you know, with our own eyes in the Six Nations this year, um, there's reasons to believe that. They will improve, so I'd be less, I'd be a lot slower to say kick them out like I maybe I was last year. You know, if Brunel was still there, or you know, Zebra and Treviso weren't showing any sign of, of progress, and I think that's the big thing for Connor. Connor's had to go in there and actually, it's less about the thirty-man squad and, and getting ready for test games. It's about how can he actually change their whole mentality, which is pretty hard to do um, 
in, in a Latin country. So I think he he's on the right track. He's the right man for that job, you know. But also, would it improve tier two countries if they actually had something more than World Cup qualification to to aim for? You know, um, I think it's it's interesting. You know that um, I think Spain are Spain, Spain are going really well. Um, in Ireland's group, yeah. Yeah, Ireland's mm. group, and so that that's they have to have a carrot as well. So. Well, I, I, I do think Italy will be better over the next two or three years. I wouldn't be against um, a, a promotion and relegation playoff, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Seven or Georgia eight have probably actually regressed a little bit, probably because yeah. they haven't had the quality competition. Uh, they haven't been too impressive. I'm not many sure many people watch that rugby or yeah. championship, but uh, I'm an addict, so I do. They regress, and Romania have been overtaken by Spain, so Spain are going to be in Ireland's Ireland group, barring an absolute disaster. So there's been a bit of a change there. I think all those... Uh, countries struggle because of so the lack of competition yeah. and yeah. exposure, really. Yeah, we've got a gentleman up the front here with a question and another one here and another yeah. one there. Cheers. Uh, this, well, you might go with... Bernard, it's a, a question for you. Uh, I'm very surprised that uh, nobody on the panel has mentioned the line-out. Um, Sorry. Where do you think we're going with that on Saturday? And also the number two position, what do you see for the future when Bestie goes? Um, I didn't realise the line was was as bad. Was, do, you, do you think the line was very poor? No, just, just in general. You think um, yeah, I think I think it would be I think it would be good to be honest. I, I think we got you know some good personnel there in terms of you know Omani. Um, if it's Henderson and and, um, and James Ryan this week, it's obviously a bit of a challenge for James Ryan to call yeah. call lineouts at international level. He hasn't done it for Leinster, so that's a that's a test. Um, I think Scott, Scotland's defensive lineout is is very strong, so you know we, we definitely could be challenged there. Um, it's interesting. Dan McFarland is the Scottish forwards coach, obviously coach Connacht for for maybe seven or eight years, and he you know he's a real nerd around his lineout D. Um, but I think the Ireland line is functioning well. Um, in terms of Rory, obviously, you know his best years are behind him. I think Sean Cronin's been exceptional this year for for Leinster um, when he's played. And you know you got Herring up north. You got you know I like I like Scanlon. You got Reese Marshall who's going to qualify for Ireland mm. in Munster. I think we're actually we're quite strong in the in the hooker position. Um, and yeah, I think Rory's Rory's setting the the standard, you know, week in week out. Yeah, and he's been really strong. Yeah, I think Noel Scanlon's probably the one day. Yeah, in the having the pipeline is the next kind of starting Irish yes. hooker. They've been kept him involved, even he's had injury issues this season, but they had him up for a couple of the mini camps just to keep him in the, in the in the mix as well. Um, and he lo he looks like a very complete player. Yeah, uh, well once he can stay free of those yeah. injuries, he's a really powerful guy, good darts yeah. generally, um, and a good tackler as well. Yeah, he's got, he's got real size as well, and that's, that's the way the game's going. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, they're looking pretty mm. decent in that area as well, yeah. but Bessie's still blasting still on there. Yeah. 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 Another uh, question there. Got another one behind you there, and another one up here as well. How you doing? Um, yeah, I guess I have two questions in one. Um, I've noticed the prominence of the under-20s has come up, and the, the Wolfhounds of the Saxons have kind of gone off to the TV. Um, I'm just wondering how that works in terms of, as a Pro 14 coach, how can you release players for under 20s or are you keeping? I moved to Galway recently and uh, go to a lot of Connacht games and a lot of the players are now under 18s, under 19s, so it's very tricky. Um, also, with the under 20s coming in, there's a lot of non-TMO games yeah. in Connacht. And 
I'm just wondering as a coach, um, do you coach them differently when there isn't a TMO? Um, it's interesting actually because we had we, we we tried to get a few TMOs at the weekend and we refused. And it spoke speaking to the the head of referees today, there was four four incidents that the referee made a mistake and he um, you know two of them led to tries. So I think the big the next step for for rugby I think is a coach's challenge where you actually have a challenge during a game kind of like tennis. Um, I'm gonna try and get that out there now uh, <laughs> but uh no but i genuinely think it'll be more interesting i think i we i actually get frustrated when i see players um consistently asking the referee to go to tmo um uh, but i think what we have the advantage of is in our coach's box of having that live and actually being able to see it and only using that challenge if you feel it's right so if you challenge something and it proves that you're right then you keep your challenge if you challenge something then TMO decides, um, the TMO, this is for games where there is a TMO, the TMO decides that no, the, the try should stand, or, or um, but then you lose your challenge. So it's not going to be something that slows the game down even more. In actual fact, it might quicken it up because if the referee is actually relying on the coach rather than um, the TMO to look at the, something five or six times. So say you have 45 seconds to actually challenge it or else it, it's given. You know, I think it might actually quicken the game up, might make it more interesting, put more pressure on us. Get our blood pressure um, <laughs> up a bit more. Get us get us sacked quicker. Um, How far can you throw a flag? <laughs> no, no. Obviously, we'd have to. We'd have to work. I haven't thought of all the details. Sorry, yeah. it's just big picture we'll stuff here. We'll chat after. Big picture stuff. No, but uh, and then for the games that you don't have a TMO, no, we actually don't co don't coach differently. I'm, I'm sure some coaches do. Um, obviously, we coach that. You know, you even if you know to try, you try and limit the, the views and, and know where the cameras are for the games with TMOs, but um, you know we don't. And I think it's it's frustrating if you lose a game because of a decision that potentially could have you know could have been uh, reversed um, from a TMO TMO point of view. But in terms of twenties and stuff, yeah, we we have a good relationship with the Welsh Rugby Union. I believe for our youngsters, for them to get a chance to to play for Wales, they might never play for Wales. You know, at international level, so to play for Wales at, at 18, sevens, um, under 20s level is a is a huge honour and privilege. So we have we've released them. Um, we have the right to, to you know to, to call up the Welsh management and and say we need them for this top 14 game. And and you know once guys have had a cap, this Six Nations we've we've had guys back. We brought a couple of them to our, to South Africa because we felt it was a fallow week in the in the Six Nations under 20s and they would benefit more from being with us in, in South Africa than in a training camp and uh, I think once you're communicating and, and there's a bit of give and take um, and you, you, you put the players best interests at heart well, uh, I think then you've got to sacrifice maybe sometimes your own short term need um, to try and help them you know, have, have the best career they can just to be conscious of time here, we'll get this gen up the front. Uh, just to let you know that the coaches' challenge will be brought to you by Volkswagen, <laughs> uh, <laughs> proud sponsors of this show. There we go. How's it going? Uh, T-shirt cannon, I think, to get the flag onto the field. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, just with regards to uh, BBC losing the Wales, Northern Ireland, and Scotland uh, rights, um, I'm just wondering what your feeling is to, as you're saying earlier on, the people's game. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like it's going to be the people's game if you need, you know, to be paying yeah. whatever money for it to actually see it. Yeah, obviously, I think terrestrial um, access to games is is huge. You know, we want we want our you know our public to be able to, to see those games free, free to air. To be honest, um, it, from a Welsh point of view, from a Welsh regional point of view, you know, we're struggling for income. We're struggling to compete with 
English Aviva Premiership clubs, top 14 clubs who have, you know, vastly better um, TV deals. So that's the big, the big, um, the big carrot for 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 clubs in terms of revenue. It's you know it's more important than than bums on seats um, in terms of being able to generate money quickly um, or having guaranteed money. Um, so I understand why Pro 14 are probably under pressure from the 14 clubs to increase their their revenue from TV deals. Obviously, I think it's very it's it's tough on the people who are losing their jobs in in in, in BBC Wales or BBC Ulster um, or won't have as, as much work. I think for the fans, it's a it's a difficult one. You know, are we going to be able to convert the non-hardcore rugby fan? To pay whatever it'll be, ten or a month or whatever for 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 a subscription. Um, I don't know. Is the is the other angle that if you can watch it free there, you'll actually you know get your family and go down to a game. Uh, it's a yeah. it's a difficult one. You know, are we going to get more people actually live at the games and and then increase uh, increase our our supporter base? Um, thankfully, uh, I'm only worried about coaches' challenge and and not the <laughs> not the actual ins and outs of our budget. But um, yeah, I'm. I'm I don't know what's the best. I, I feel sorry for, I feel sorry for the for the fan, armchair fan, or the or the the the, the person who's not yet a fan. You know, I think he's, we're going to struggle to to convert them or interest them in our game by not being free to air. To be honest, but I understand from a from a um, a financial point of view completely why they made that decision. There's also an issue about the kind of credibility of the league, where on one hand you need that revenue that still streets behind top 14 yeah. premiership is to say on the other hand you want a league where an Irish fan is actually interested and has the chance to watch the Dragons oh. or the Blues mm. which is really difficult at times it, you know it's really hard to, to track those teams so even with air sport coming on like they'll probably show predominantly Irish provinces so you get to the point where you're just watching the Irish provinces and you don't care about the rest of the league are you even that aware of the conference table so yeah. there's a massive balancing act there for, for the Pro 14 definitely yeah Yeah. Actually, yeah. 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 True. Yeah. Yes. It's a. It's a very controversial decision, and I think the proof would be in the pudding. You know, where where are we in a year's time in terms of, um, in terms of viewership? You know, if there's, if there's not enough people watching us, well then it's probably long term it's going to hurt us. I'll miss yeah. Jim Neely on. Yeah, BBC Northern Ireland as well. Yeah, sure. He loves Ulster. <laughs> he really loves Ulster. It's a pause, really. Bernard, we might ask you to uh, pick your winner. So I'll, I'll read out the questions for yeah. you. There was this gentleman here, and yeah. then there was um, addressing Ireland's weak spot in order so er, in order for us to win the World Cup. Yeah. Kissing your sister. Sorry, Dan. Not a contender. <laughs> uh, rugby administration. So that was about the IRFU. Yeah. French rugby and where it falls down. There were a good few questions. Mm. Italian participation in the Six Nations. The importance of the line-out. Pro 14 coaching and uh, the TMO. Do you have a, a winner there to win Let's two go. tickets to Ireland versus Scotland? Thanks to Volkswagen. Bernard, please. French rugby. Yeah. Oh, nice one. That was the gentleman <laughs> down the back here, wasn't it? Well done. Well done. We're, we'll sort out there in a minute. Uh, listen, we've kept you for very long, so very briefly, guys, predictions for the weekend in, I don't know, 30 words or less. Yeah, I think Ireland will win by nine to ten points, which is what the bookies are backing for. Uh, Johnny Sexton. Sorry, mate, that's all we've got. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Johnny Sexton, Conor Murray controlling it, and I think the pack will be able to just get an edge as well. Nice. Yeah, Ireland to win probably by, by ten or, or twelve points, but with a bonus point. Oh, very nice. We'll be sorted then. 
Bernard Jackman, thank you very much thank for joining you. us. Cheers. Appreciate it. Murray, nice one. And thank you guys as well. Hope you enjoyed it. Sorry for keeping you so long, but it was good fun. And our thanks. Our thanks as well to uh, Volkswagen, our sponsors. A reminder about the green chair. You know the scale. Go over there and tell your stories. Uh, you'll get a free copy of our book even if you sit down there, as far as I'm aware. But the best story will win a prize uh, for the next year's Autumn Internationals, November Internationals. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thanks. Nice. Thanks, Mike. Cheers, Cheers,